The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Black Teachers Matter here on WBCALP 102.9 FM. I'm your producer and host, Sharon Eaton Hinton, here with another edition of Black Teachers Matter. And we have a wonderful, wonderful guest here. He's a personal friend of mine, Edwin Sumter, community activist, also a key player in the New Democracy Coalition here in Boston, Massachusetts. We're going to be talking for this entire hour live here at WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. We are Boston's community radio station. And I have to tell you that um, my friend Edwin was here with me last night at channel, well, it was channel 23, yeah. but on my other show on another level. And he's here tonight to tell me all the good things that happened in Boston. We're live tonight. We've got hot news tonight. Edwin, welcome. How are you? I am fine, Sharon. Anytime I'm in your presence, you know I'm doing fine. <laughs> and Sharon, you're so humble, but let's face it. Sharon is being so humble in terms of our friendship because it goes back so many years. Oh, and, I know. I, and whenever I'm at a new platform and I get a chance to speak to a new audience, I always feel that I have to be all-inclusive and talk about how long I've known Sharon and how responsible she is and what a big part in my life she played in me having the the bravery, having me the uh, the excitement of going and working with the media. And I'll do a really quick story, Sharon. I know you don't <laughs> want to hear it, but I'm going to do it. I met Sharon when she was working on something called Cablevision, y'all. <laughs> oh, I know. So, Cablevision in Boston, Cable Brooklyn, Vision right? Boston. That's right. And Sharon had what I considered easily the most exciting show on all of Cablevision oh, back then. Thank that was you. a show called Soundcheck. Yep. Soundcheck combined the music of today here in Boston with live performances, with news, interviews. We had two hosts. It was a very no, we well... we had four hosts. Four hosts, really, because I even had a little segment. And it was really a well-constructed uh, talk show, entertainment platform show. Very exciting. It was called Soundcheck. Sharon was the producer, the editor. And I, was, I worked back behind the scenes doing some writing. And long story short, we had an interview with EPMD at the Strand Theater. And one was of it our, at the Strand? It was at the Strand, and one of our hosts, who was supposed to do the interview, couldn't make it. Sharon then gave me the microphone and said, Ed, you do the mic, you do the interview That's with right. EPMD. And I have the picture on Facebook with me, Sharon, EPMD. But the funny thing is, that was the first time I had interviewed somebody in front of a television. Uh, ever. Cam, ever. Ever. And that has led me to interview many, many people. But the first time was when Sharon had the confidence and the wherewithal to put that microphone in my hand and put me in front of that camera, and I loved it. And that was back in the 80s, oh boy. But here it is, 2023, <laughs> and Sharon, I always call her the queen of all media because uh, she doesn't she doesn't toot her own horn, but for somebody to work in the community, to be in front of the camera, and just communications, 
what Sharon has been doing for so many years for this community, I just, I mean, we really owe her a great, uh, a great debt of uh, gratitude because she has been constantly doing it. And she don't do repeats. Everything's new with Sharon, too. I always That's admire true. that. You, you, you don't do repeats. Every week it's a new show. And you, in fact, you may be the longest running TV show host in Boston history. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that the other day, right? It was like all these people have got these plaques and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. It's like, uh, I think uh, I, I've been doing be. music. Well, I've been doing music all my life. Right. And that's right. Because you go up and we, if you consider the RBB days to right now, I cannot think of anybody in this in our community, let alone the city of Boston, who has constantly been on TV, radio, cable, tele, whatever, all the time, every year, for all these years? No way. Sharon, you've got to be the queen of all media. You're starting to make me feel old now. <laughs> I, 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 um, wow, that's... Uh, hmm. But it's true. But it's true. And I, I can't think of anybody who's still here in Boston, who's been delivering the goods for our community for this long. Oh, no. Sharon, come on. Well, thank you, my brother. Praise God. We thank you, Your Majesty. We thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Your Majesty, stop. Thank you so much, Edwin. Um, But that's not what we're here to talk about me tonight. We're here to talk about what you're involved in and this whole issue with reparations. And I wanted to read something really quickly um, in the Medium um, vlog. And it was, you know me, I'm always Mm -hmm. reading and... and, um, researching different things. And so there was this article that's on the, um, I guess it's a vlog, a blog, Mm -hmm. and it's called um, How One Woman is Making DIY Reparations a Reality. Mm -hmm. The Reparations Raised Juneteenth Edition. It's by Elizabeth Slick LaRue, and it was published in Culture in June 19th. And so Erin Corinne Johnson is one of a small handful of people in her LinkedIn network of 7,400, who this particular person stops and listens to, and she's a Chicago native who's involved in identity, belonging, and embodiment coach in her small business, Ola Magnolia, and she dives deeper than most in questions of identity, challenging assumptions, and carving out cutting-edge best practices, often with her adorable toddler, Cora, gracing the frame. So this is the framework of this article, but I want to read this piece about reparations that I thought was right on point. Um, And the DIY reparations, I don't really want to get into that. But she was saying that reparations are simply repair to a harmed party for a harm committed. They are not new. They are not fundamentally controversial. And they have myriad manifestations that are quite obvious if you view them dispassionately. For example, one, reparations for enslavers. Of course, slave owners and colonizers were issued reparations to compensate them for the harm of losing the perverse (laughs) legal right to own people and become enriched from their forced unpaid labor. This is in my mind. This is what she's saying, not my mind. The strongest argument in favor of reparations for black people. Two, reparations for other ethnic groups. Government-issued reparations, albeit insufficient, were issued to prisoners of Japanese internment camps, to Native Americans displaced and dispossessed, and to black Americans on individual bases prior to California's recent passage of a reparations law for descendants of the enslaved. Mm -hmm. Three, reparations for crime victims. In some states, local governments set up funds to compensate those who have incurred costs related to crimes committed against them or members of their families when they have not been able to recover those costs from the perpetrators. Incidentally, this person said, I learned recently 
that our new home station nation, Mexico, has such a process at the federal level. This is the reporting. This is not me saying this. This is an article. Four, civil liability. The concept of monetary repair for harm is at the core of all civil lawsuits, and it is not exclusive to instances where direct financial damage occurred. For example, one can sue in civil court for financial compensation related to emotional distress, wrongful death, or wrongful imprisonment, all of which are inherent in the enslavement of humans. Close quote. Close parentheses. While the formulas for proving damages and identifying the wrongdoer specifically make this connection less direct, the underlying principle is the same, where someone has suffered even non-financial harm as a result of another's actions. Financial compensation is a recognized vehicle for repair. If at this point, they continue, you still don't believe compensation is due to black people whose ancestors were kidnapped, brutalized, treated as chattel, separated from their families, raped, tortured, forced to work in inhumane conditions, and often worked quite literally to death, and are still suffering from the legacy of this system, this article probably isn't for you. (laughs) If, on the other hand, you understand that the only reason reparations for black people is considered controversial is due to the same racist legacy that demands it be implemented. You are now empowered to do something about it. If you are a black creator, business owner, or service provider, you can sign up to receive. In many cases, this too is a barrier. Centuries of racist messaging around entitlement, work ethic, and deservedness are hard at work in the psyches of many. If you are not, you can contribute and take proactive steps to share the resources you required absent the impact of anti-black racism. This is this person continuing. I wholly recognize there are poor white people. I was one. She's not. You know this is not me. This is her. And don't have much even now. There are other ways to contribute on the reparations race webpage. And they talk about donating and buy black. Run in the reparations um, hashtag reparations race. And um, then she goes on to talk about the U.S. federal government is unlikely to garner the political will in the next few years, at least, to implement reparations on any meaningful scale. The states where the legacy of slavery are strongest are largely busy trying to erase its very history, much less rectify the harm it caused. The reparations race is something you, yes, little old you, can do now. This was about a Juneteenth um Mm-hmm. Article. This is around the Juneteenth article. Yep. And the name of the, the, the article in the vlog, again, was called, um, let me go back to the top of this because I read a bunch of it, um, How One Woman is Making DIY Reparations as Reality. And this is a white woman, Elizabeth Selleck LaRue. And it was published in Cultured. So thank you very much. Yeah. And if you've, excuse me, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston. Boston's community radio station. I'm your host and producer, Sharon Eaton-Hinton. I'm here with my guest, Ed Sumter, community activist, journalist. I have to talk about you writing in, mm. for newspapers yeah. and reporter and um, MC because you've been yeah. a master of ceremonies and did a lot of things in the community. You've been around for a while too, yeah, sir. Cool. When I come to think of it, you're right. I have. <laughs> I have. Yeah, it's been a... It's been a uh... It's been a pleasure, though. It's been a journey where you get to see Boston, black Boston, from the inside and from the outside. And I like this saying that uh, 
You got to get to the back of the kitchen to see how the sausage is made. Well, I definitely have, um. Do they make sausage in the kitchen? Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's not always a pretty. Know. It's not always a pretty sight, but getting to go behind the scenes and it's funny. Even like like these last twenty four hours, uh, I'll just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Yesterday at this time, I was getting ready to go on your show, and we were talking about situation with the black church and how the black church is under siege and right here in black Boston where we have six churches that are really up against it um, either through foreclosure or through some kind of receivership or just in dire need of repairs so we had a couple of guests on your show we talked about that and then we segued into the People's Academy which is in Dorchester or a jewel in the community that just isn't getting the funding then I get up this morning and I'm at Boston Copley Library giving a speech in support of the People's Academy. I also used as a backdrop the fact that the state just re revealed its $3.5 billion budget, and not to mention a couple trillion dollars is coming our way through the pandemic fund, but I haven't seen anybody line up and say, okay, this is what's coming right here to Black Boston. And I keep saying Black Boston because if you know the area that's having the most problems, then maybe you should make sure that before you tear anyone off, if you don't mind me saying that, you make sure that the, the area that really needs some funding is getting take care, taken, taken care of. But I didn't see any press conference, nothing saying where any of that money is going right into the neighborhood for programs like the People's Academy or other programs that could help uh, our community. So I didn't see that at all in any newspaper coverage. But then after that, I was at the State House. Liz Miranda has a um, wait, 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 give her a full title now. Yep, State, State Representative uh, Liz, Elizabeth Miranda is has a bill before the House, before the uh, State House, for the feasibility of um, reparations throughout the state. And there's already a reparations team here in Boston, but this is state reparations. So those of us in support of that idea uh, had the opportunity to go to the State House and testify before a committee. And then we get, it's great. Even in, it, by the way, if no one's ever done this process, testifies, testifying the State House, it's open to the public. You just, just be behind a bill, find a politician who's sponsoring the bill, and at some point they'll have a hearing where you can testify. You're, you're on a big screen TV that's over the, uh, the um, committee. There's a countdown clock. You get three minutes to speak and to testify while you're either for or against a bill. And when it gets 10 seconds, a little alarm goes off and let you know to wrap it up. Like, so <laughs> like it's time the, to wrap it up. It's very exciting. But don't very you exciting. have to have a certain amount of signatures uh, to get the hearing or do you just need a elected well, officials it, to sponsor it, it? it? When you get it, yeah, exactly. When you get in at this point, the the uh, bill has already been sponsored. It's got to the point where now it's the nay or the yay to move forward. So hopefully the politician who's sponsoring the bill has done all that. They've gotten the signatures. That's why today becomes a reality. So before we go yeah. any further, I wanted to um, say hello to another guest. You guys can't see him because he's off camera. EJ, I'm going to bring you up. He, he's got this look in his face like, oh, they're mentioning <laughs> me. I'm just here as a guest. And he has a program that will be coming up here at BNN Media called The Block. Excellent. The Block, right? A music program. And, uh, I mean, you can speak up. We just can't see you. Uh, so, um, and so we want to acknowledge people that not only are in the studio with us right now, but people that are listening to my voice and the voice of Edwin Sumter. Mm -hmm. And on radio, you can't see him. Mm -hmm. But on uh, podcast, you can see him. Right. And we're available on Podbeam and also Spotify. 
And we're also being broadcast live right now at 102.9 FM in Boston, WBCALP. We're Boston's community radio station. We're talking about community Mm -hmm. issues, but this particular issue about reparations is not only a community issue, but it's a national issue. So what did you think about some of the things that I had actually read? Yeah, I love that. I mean, and, and you know, it's funny because reparations across the country, even in major cities like Boston, is at such an infancy level that I love that term, do it yourself, because believe it or not, it is right now at the point where you can pretty much make reparations to be what you want them to be. Whoa, 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 whoa. back up, back up, back up. But the level of reparations that we're talking about for descendants of slaves yep. is, I mean, this particular article, she was saying there was certain things that you can do mm-hmm. um, on a person-to-person level, but right. we're talking about generational reparations, oh, yeah. right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny. Part of my testimony at the State House today happened to do just that. In fact, I'm going to give a quick synopsis of how I presented my case today. Elizabeth Miranda, State Representative Elizabeth Miranda, she opened up the, um, the, the, the sequence of events for this bill by mentioning Bill Owens, who back in the 70s dared to use the word reparations. And when she mentioned that, I said, okay, that's great. I'm going to change what I'm going to say. So what I did was I spoke about how Bill Owens mentioned reparations back in the 1970s. But, of course, during the 1970s, Boston was undergoing busing and desegregation of the schools. So let's put it this way. Reparations wasn't met with open arms even to be talked about in the 1970s. Well, it's not really met with open arms right now. Well, let me finish. Let me finish. So what I said was this. (laughs) So what I said was this. I said, but... Let's just imagine if it was 50 years ago. What if reparations happened 50 years ago when Bill Owens did mention the word back in 1974? What if back then they took a look at the black community in Boston and reparations in in whatever form they were created and came in play? Who can say that maybe things would be different 50 years later here in 2023 had we done something back in 1974? So what I proposed to the committee was this at the end. Don't put yourselves in a position where 50 now, fifty years from now, people are going to say, wow, why didn't we do something 50 years later? Let's do it now. Let's see the feasibility of it. Let's see if something can happen. Because the bottom line is this. In black Boston, 90% of the murders happen here where we live. 90% of the most violent crimes happen here where we live. Unemployment's highest right here where we live. Homelessness, health issues, the environment, right here where we live. Let's talk the about average, the. Can we talk about the the wealth? And the, let's talk the, about the wealth gap. Eight dollars for every average family compared to over two hundred thousand for every white family. Every black family compared to over two hundred thousand every white family. And how about the, this one? You know, all of those are huge, but here's the biggest: life expectancy. In you, you're expected to live. 23 years longer if you're white than you are if you're black in Boston. In Roxbury. How about that? In Roxbury. How about that? That's huge, too. So with all of that now, here in 2023, who knows where we would have been if someone had dealt with some of those issues back in 1974. But my point being, now that we're here, let's not wait another 50 years. And one last thing I want to mention. Reparations may be talked, we're talking about it here on December 5th, 2023, but it's not about me or you. It's not about anyone within the earshot of my voice. It's about so that our children 
and their children's children, and as Stevie Wonder would say, our great-great-great-grandchildren don't have to go through what we had to go through if there's the possibilities that reparations may kickstart the community into a different way. Okay, hold up, hold up. So it is about me, and it is about you. Well, I mean, I understand, but it's more about the future. It's both. It's both, because there are, just like in California, there was actually a family whose land was ripped off, and, and the state of California actually... Uh, deemed that they get the land back. Yeah, and, so. I, and I and I and I understand that, and that's I mean, obviously, there's things that could benefit myself, but I look at myself as a 63 year old African American male. So when I say the future, I'm just looking, I'm just looking at how much time I got left here on Oterra Firmer. And at 63 years old, I look at my nieces and my nephews who have a lot longer to live than I do. I look at the possibility of their children who who, who will be in Boston who might not have to be in the same Boston. Uh, black neighborhoods of Boston that are constructed the way they are right now. And one last thing I need to mention, too, reparations also may be a way where we can do something about gentrification. Because as I said last night, guess what? Reparations aren't even going to matter if we're not here. That's true. Nothing's going to matter if you're not not here. So so for all this talk about reparations, let me tell you right now, we really better get a good grasp on how we're being squeezed out of our own community. Because uh, if we're not here... There's not going to be many of us to uh, to appreciate or to really use reparations to, to save our community if the community's not here. We talked about it last night with the black church, but believe me, all these buildings going up, people being squeezed out of the community. I mean, Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan, let's face it, there's some parts of Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan that don't even look like Dorchester, Roxbury, Mattapan in terms of the people who were there. Now, everybody's welcome, and we all do need to live together, but for the people who have invested years, decades, centuries in this community, it's a shame that they're being squeezed out and things are just getting better in terms of the infrastructure, just as we're being knocked out. But that's not by happenstance either. So, for the record, I want my money now. <laughs> and for the record, I know what to do with it right now. And for the record, I want to live to 120 well, ladies like now Tina Turner. Talking. Now. There we go. <laughs> so, um, and, and to answer your question, I mean, Malcolm X actually had brought... You know the the issue of uh, human rights versus yeah. just civil rights, yeah, right. and to the UN because he realized that the United States government wasn't really going to address right. uh, what was happening back then to um, the descendants of slaves and African Americans. And I keep saying the descendants of slaves and African Americans. You can't just say black no, because there are people who, um, you know, to for credit, uh, Afro Latina city councilor at large city councilor. Uh, Julia Mejia yep. is not American. Right. She's she's American citizen, well, she's the, and yeah. she's an elected official, yeah. but she's not a descendant of slaves in American, this country. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, look at Liz Miranda. I mean, Liz Miranda has a Latino background, but she's Cape Verdean, right? Cape Verdean, yes. But so I think the idea is that see, even folks who are in Jamaica, in the Caribbean, in Haiti, in different parts of the world, most of them are there because of the slave trade. Yeah, but I mean, they were different countries. Different and countries, so, but that's how we all got there. So, you know, that old saying, we may have arrived in different ships, but we're in the same boat now. But hold up. The boats... Let, <laughs> so there were different <laughs> countries that owned those other countries. Yep. So Great Britain Absolutely. and the royal family that have billionaires, that's they have right. money. That's and right. let's talk about the Vatican. That's right. Because well, the Vatican was involved it. in slavery, let's too. And, and they've got money. So I'm not, you know, and, and so just to put to rest yeah. uh, people that say, oh, we can't, you know, I'm a white person and I'm, none of my people own slaves. But you benefited Absolutely. from an institution of enslaved people that 
I mean, how rich would your family be on an individual basis if you had people working for you and your children and your children's children for free? There you go, go, Sharon. I'm going to tell you right now, it was just last week. I mean, I love to look on the Internet and try to find things and, you know, that I've never or see things from a point of view that I never really thought about. And last week I saw this thing on Google where this sister had found this book. Um, the, it was, it was, the article was called The Wills of Slave Owners. And she just could not get over how the slave owners would, like, I hereby and sound mine present this will to my children. I leave them the house. I leave them the food. I leave them the, the animals. I leave them the money. I leave them the land. And I leave them the slaves. Yeah. I leave them human beings. Mm-hmm. What are you... I, I, for some reason... I figured that happened, but when I saw it and and saw these these letters and these wills that this woman had it had unearthed, I just it just hit me hard. Oh, in the will are these human beings. I leave you my slaves. And check this out: by leaving their kids the slaves, that meant that their kids could then leave their kids the slaves' kids that those slaves had. So it just went on and on and on and on. You're just passing down human beings like you're passing down your mother's favorite dress or your father's favorite hat. It's just something you could pass on. But these were human beings. It's extraordinary. Hold on, hold on, because we got to take a short break. We're going to take a short break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WBCALP, 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station. This is another edition of Black Teachers Matter. And Black Teachers Matter is a nonprofit 501c3 here in Boston, but reaching out across the country. We are going to take a short break. And uh, I have to tell you that even though we're taking a short break, that we're going to be right back here with Edwin Sumter, community activist. He was participating in the reparations hearings today, sponsored by State Representative Liz Miranda here in Boston, Massachusetts. And just because you're not here in Boston, Massachusetts, don't think that it's not affecting you. Boston is actually the location of a lot of firsts. The first police force that actually were tasked with capturing slaves. The first public school. And there's a lot of firsts here. And it's the first tonight for Mr. Edwin Sumter being in the studio here at WBCA LP. 102.9 FM in Boston. I am your host, Sharon Hinton. My guest, Edwin Sumter, and I will be right back after these brief messages. What is dedication? My biggest fear in the middle of my addiction was that my kids wouldn't have a father. Isn't my story. I definitely had to become a better man to be a better father. It's important to me that my kids are empowered and truly believe that if, if they can think it, they can do it. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. When I was in the fourth grade, I had this teacher, Mrs. Schumacher. Whenever I'd fool around in class, she'd say, Mr. Alexander, you're quite the actor. And she was right. Here I am today, quite the actor. You know, teachers really do make a difference in our kids' lives. And the more support we give our teachers, the more they give our kids. I wonder what Mrs. Schumacher would say if she could see me today. Why should you care if some kid from across town drops out of school? I'll tell you why. 
because that kid and every other kid just like him is going to end up on the streets. Now, maybe they'll be stealing cars or dealing drugs or worse. That's why you should care about that kid across town. So get involved in your schools, because if our kids go down the tubes, we go with them. And we're back here in Black Teachers Matter, another edition live on WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station. I'm here with my guest, Edwin Sumter, community activist, um, journalist, reporter, MC, commentator, my friend and your friend, <laughs> Edwin something something. Sumter <laughs> and we're laughing right because you and I were on the radio you had your own you had your own show on uh, Boston Praise Radio that's little something right. something little something something little something something but again that's you hooking me up uh, let me explain Sharon had a long running show on Boston Praise Radio and I asked her could I do something and Sharon said how about doing a little something something so every broadcast about um, once or twice a week I'd come on and do a, like a five ten minute What's going on in the city? You know, different events going on in and around the city. And Sharon would give me the introduction. Here's Edwin Sumter, a little something, something. And there we go, that continuing relationship on the air. Well, well because, because it's a good one. It's because, a good one. It is. It because is. I'm, I'm telling you, if you, if you sucked. That's right. Oh, I know that. Believe me. Believe me. That's, that's high praise. Maybe to me. High praise from Sharon is that I've been with her all this time. That is Because if I wasn't. It doesn't come. I'm telling you. It doesn't come by easy, bro. It don't come easy. No, no it doesn't come easy. She will easy. not bite her tongue. But, but that's why her work's such quality that it is. I mean, that says a lot about her staying power. I mean, I know that she demands the same of herself as well. Can I tell you the hardest interview I had with with this um, woman? She passed last year, the last year of COVID, and she was 103. Well, she her granddaughter said she was 104. She said, "I'm just 103. Hey, the equivalent <laughs> between one year, you still, you know, 103, 104. You know, seriously." But she was the hardest interview I've ever had in all the years because um, we were live on the air, mm-hmm. and then. All of a sudden, when the cameras went on, we were talking for about an hour, hour and a half before the show. We get in the studio, and then she didn't want to talk, <laughs> and she stopped talking and turned her. And tur- I saw the back of her head. What? She turned her head, <laughs> and I was like, "No, sh- no, she did it right." <laughs> and her her granddaughter was in the studio with me, and um, she stopped talking, and I was like, "Up!" And so her so her granddaughter says. Grandma, don't you do that. She says, she can hear you because we changed yeah. her batteries and she has both right here. <laughs> and I said, you know what? She is 104. She yeah. said, I'm 103. I said, okay. But you've gotten, at this point, you can do whatever you want to exactly do. That's exactly right. And, you know, if you don't want to talk to me, that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. And your granddaughter's here and I'll talk Dang, to her. Talk to her. That's right. But I had to tell her that <laughs> I had to really look and see what was happening over 100 years ago. Sure, that's what I would want to know. Right, exactly. exactly. And then when I started talking to her, and I re- I remembered in my lifetime, scrub boards, and oh, we didn't have dryers, absolutely. and we had clothes absolutely. pins. We didn't have you know, and and the ice boxes yep. where you had to change the trays because the ice would melt down. When yeah, I started right. talking to her about that, and it piqued her interest, and nice. then I remembered her history, where she said she was born down south, but she went to New York, and hmm. the time that she was in New York. So I said, wait a minute, did you meet Joe Lewis, and did you meet these people? And um, she met Jackie Robinson. She was working in a store um, selling handbags. 
And she met and Jackie Robinson was buying a handbag for his wife. And and so I said, well, wait a minute, though. But how did you get from down south to New York? She said, a man. And I was like, oh, oh OK, maybe uh, go. Right. You asked. <laughs> so I said, but there's the open door right there. And then we ran out of tape and we ran out of show and she was still talking to me. That's, isn't that something? Well, so, see, that's a good interviewer right there. You you threw out things from the past and t- something connected, something she had to she had to mention once you hooked her. With something that opened the door back up. But see, you know, when we talk about connections, right, mm-hmm. the connection, a lot of people hear about reparations and think it's just a black thing. Right. And so at the beginning of the program, when I read about all the people that get reparations, you don't necessarily call them that. So if someone commits a crime That's right. and they call it restitution, restitution. but it really is, That's right. it, you know, restitution. You're absolutely right. But it's really reparations because yeah. you're repairing, you're trying to repair the damage. When... Um, every other ethnicity mm-hmm. in this country actually receives something, including the Native Americans, right. although it's not what was taken. Right, that's right, it's not. Right? So then you need to think about the only people that didn't receive any reparations are black people in this country. And, you know, it's funny, as you were reading that piece, uh, you listed, you know, the Japanese who, because of the internment camps and the Native Americans who receive reparations and, and, and restitution and so forth, it made me think and say to myself, wow, when it comes to black folk, then all of a sudden everybody acts like they never heard the word reparations or restitutions before. Right. You know, then 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 all of a sudden it's a problem. It's an issue. But I think that has a lot to do with, and I'm going to throw this out there. This is my own personal thing. This is my own personal belief. But I always feel that there's such a guilt around white, some of white America around slavery that it's almost hard to fathom that the heroes, you know, the, the forefathers, the, the heroes, who, who set this country on its course, were, who also had the capability of owning and enslaving people. I mean, that's something they have to deal with. I mean, I, I, I used myself, for example. I was in a medical program. I was in school in Marblehead. And whenever anybody says to me, did they teach you anything about slavery in high school in Marblehead, my answer is always the same. Oh, yeah, I remember that day. <laughs> that day. Wow. So, you know, what's interesting, right, when um, you talk about, uh, well, most people don't realize, unless they actually are a student of history, which I am, the slave owners, and, and my, my Haitian brothers and sisters, you know, bonjour, comment ça va? Sac passé, d'abord. So, Haiti was the first free black uh, continent, uh, civilization, society, and the Western hemisphere. They freed themselves, but the slave owners were compensated by France. Uh. The slave owners, because the the uh, slaves, the Haitians, the enslaved people, they weren't slaves. Enslaved people were considered property. And because they freed themselves, the slave owners suffered um, financial loss. Yep. And so the countries literally sure. um, had compensated the slave owners for losing their property Isn't and mm-hmm. threatened and instituted uh, an embargo, and, and 96 was along with this, Europe, European countries put an embargo around this island mm. of this free black nation. Mm. And um, that's, you know, the World Bank and International Monetary Fund. So when people say, you know, Haiti is is poor, the Haitians who had freed themselves through sure. armed rebellion um, were threatened with having to, to suffer another war. Another war. Mm-hmm. another war if they didn't start paying, and they hate, they, 
the country, the nation of Haiti, had to pay reparations to their slave owners. Let me say it again. The The free black nation of Haiti had to pay their slave owners reparations or have to go back to war. Yeah, it's not based on here, here in the United States. Abraham Lincoln comes along, he signs the Emancipation Proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation, and it, there was a provision there that slaves were to get reparations. Of course, he's assassinated. Andrew Jackson, his vice president, becomes president. What's the first thing he does? He reverses it. Hold he up, t- the 40 acres and a mule. Yeah, he takes, over, he takes off the reparations for slaves, and he then gives reparations to the slave owners because of the financial hardship they've incurred by losing all this free labor. The slaves are just sent off into the wilderness, if you will, or you're on your own. And then anybody who wants to do some more deep diving, just Google it. And the other thing is that there's still legal slavery. There's two and over two million people in the United States, the land of the free, home of the brave, that are incarcerated. And so when you had the 13th Amendment that said slavery was outlawed, except for a crime, the majority of people who are in prison are people of color. And it's not because they committed a crime. It's because, you know, after, you know, Reconstruction, right? Mm -hmm. So people have been let loose with nothing that were enslaved and had to go back to sharecropping. And so if you look at the history of lynching in this country, it was also... Um, has to be noted that those people who were killed, murdered, were business owners, were people who are trying to stand up and now be compensated for something that was being taken from them for free. So, and people say, oh, but if we give this money, they're just going to go off and drink and gamble it. Uh, So what? Not that that's going to happen. And that usually doesn't happen. So, um, and if, and so what? You know, if we did, and that's not going to happen. But if you're talking about generational wealth and the difference, because you said a little bit earlier um, that what would have happened 50 years ago, 50 years ago, generational wealth would have broken the back of poverty Um, 50 years ago. And the different wars that African-American soldiers were in and were not paid the same as white soldiers, African-American soldiers who were vets were not given the same benefits, the housing benefits, the housing allocations and living. So you're you're talking about the damage over several hundred years Mm. that is still still there because there are still racist policies. And let's be clear. There are still housing deeds in Boston that have in the deed. It's illegal that you cannot sell this property. You cannot sell this house to a colored because we weren't we we, we weren't black back then. We were colored. 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 Yeah, we've gone through so many (laughs) descriptions. You know, when you mentioned the uh, the thing about if the what would you do you if you got money or reparations, do the right thing. It just reminds me so much of Gandhi, who Dr. King. Obviously studied. Hold up, Gandhi was a racist. Let's set the record straight. He did not like black people, and he specifically did not like Africans. But But go ahead. Gandhi, when the when Gandhi wanted the British to leave India, to leave India, they gave him that same argument. They said, "You can't expect us to just leave you to your own devices. You 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 you've never governed yourself. I mean, you'll need us to stay here." And Gandhi was, "Just leave." That's also a lie. Just leave. We'll also we'll 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 rather govern ourselves as free men than to still be under your thumb as free men. In other words, we're free, but you're still here. You're telling us what to do, so forth and so on. And I think that's 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 the approach. It's not just sink or swim. If reparations happen, we want to make sure that we get not just what we want. We want to get what we need. But I have to believe that 
all evidence points to. It's 50 years later since Bill Owens mentioned it, and look where we are in terms of overall numbers. Well, also, and I just started to think if we're still here in 50 years in the same I condition. I still want to be here 50 years, but not in the same condition, yeah. but because I'm sticking to that. I want to be 120 with legs like Tina Turner. You, you can make it. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is that Dr. Claude Anderson in his book, Poweronomics, mm-hmm. uh, talks about what reparations need to look like and how um, black citizens, uh, formerly enslaved citizens, should be the model model of Native Americans in this country. And what was an attempt at reparations, you know, we're still uncovering horrific kinds of things that this government did in in, in, um, socializing and colonizing people of color and indigenous people in this country. However, I know, for reparations, I know what I want. I want Never pay taxes for the next three generations, mm-hmm. free health care, free education, free go. housing, yeah. right? Yeah. I want a, a perfect credit score, <laughs> okay? And I want some money. And, I, you know, I know what I want, yeah, and yeah, I know what yeah. it should look like. Mm-hmm. And stop playing. Yeah, no. um, and so we, because, and I'm basing this not on some pie in the sky, but I'm basing it on what this country did when... Uh, Europeans came to this country. They were given other people's land. Absolutely. You know, the education piece really sticks out to me because just imagine 300 years of not only giving this free labor, but watching these people get educated, watch their kids get educated so that they can learn to run the very business that you and your family are programmed, are supposed to work for nothing every day day after day. Your kids don't do anything. In fact, if you dare try to learn to read or write, oh, that was bad news. Kill you. Kill you. While their kids are going to school, getting educated, you're watching the world change. I mean, the world from 1619 to 1719 changed a lot. From 1719 to 1819 changed a lot. From 1819 to 1919 changed a lot. But in the eyes of those slaves, their world was the same. Get up, go to work for no pay while the world industrializes itself, but your world remains the same under master's whip. And for that, you're telling me that modern-day descendants of those poor souls shouldn't be in some way given something so we can at least attempt to catch up to the world that's changing around us? I know some of us have, quote-unquote, made it, and some of, some of us, quote-unquote, Feel that we you know we've dug ourselves out of the hole that we were in and our family was in and so forth and so on. But for me, I'm sorry. Until that last brother or sister also gets up out of this mess, I'm going to feel that it's incomplete. And I think that's the mindset we need to have. We're all in this together. We're not all in this together because some of us are in the boat rowing and other of us are riding. But well, we're still on just, the boat. We're still it, on the boat. <laughs> uh, not everybody got in the boat. But if you just tuned in. Um, we're in the last parts of this program. Black Teachers Matter hit WBCALP 102.9 FM in Boston, Boston's community radio station. I'm speaking with Edwin Sumter, community activist and one of the key players in the New Democracy Coalition. My name is Sharon Hinton. I'm the producer and the host of this program. We're live this evening. Um, you may end up hearing this in another re-podcast or re-radio broadcast. Um, and we hope that you tune in and that you continue to tune in every other Tuesday. Well, actually, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. And we'll also, um, I'd like to give a, a shout out, a shameless plug no, to you. my other program, On Another Level. Let him in. 
on another level, um, which is, uh, okay, you guys are having this extracurricular discussions over here. On another level here at, uh, oh, here goes Kevin Peterson. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, who is the founder and the president of the New Democracy Coalition here. <laughs> yes, he is. And so that's Edwin Sumter's um, comrade. That's uh, maybe we'll get maybe we'll get him in the last ten minutes. I'm not quite sure. Maybe, uh, you know what? It, why don't we go to a break for a minute? No, actually, we can't because we'd have to set up the cameras and another microphone. Well, sorry, Kevin, we have to get you on another edition because uh, that's how it goes. We want to have quality programming here. Anyway, let's get back to the topic. We've got a few more moments here. So, Edwin. Yes, my dear. Where are we now in terms sure. of the reparation discussion? Yes, great question. Where are we? Great question. So, here's what's going on with reparations right now, boss. We'll start at the beginning. Last year, our mayor, Michelle Wu, decided to put together her own reparation task force, headed up by a wonderful gentleman, Joe Feaster, the reparations task force. Their charge is to report to her next July with the feasibility of moving forward in the reparation process. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that they're going to say, okay, Mayor Wu, this is what we think everybody should get. This is what the city should do. It's just the feasibility of moving forward. And I think that's a good that's a good deal because this gives them a chance to go around the city, to talk to folks, to look at the numbers, to see where we're hurting in the community, to get the right numbers of how many people are descendants. descendants. Plus, also, they have to decide who exactly would get reparations if it were to happen here in Boston? Are you, do you have to be the descendant of someone who was a slave here? Could you just have moved here from another state? I don't have the answer to those questions. In fact, I don't even have the opinion yet on all those questions because I don't even know all the questions. But those are the things they're looking at. That's great that that's happening. And that does make it real because, again, that was appointed by the mayor of the city of Boston. So that's a real thing who, that is happening. Who herself is a woman of color. Who herself is a woman of color. Excellent. Good point, Sharon. Now, they're not the only uh, task force. I happen to be part of the New Democracy Coalition, so we decided to start the Black, I'm sorry, the, black, the, the Boston People's Reparation Commission, which is made up of some NDC members, but we're also holding community meetings, welcoming the community to join us. But we are not opposed to what Mayor Wu's doing. It's just that with 121,000 African Americans who live in the city, you, it's pretty unlikely that any one or two commissions or committees will have all the answers for a majority of the people. So I have no problem seeing people getting together. In fact, heck, I'd like to see at one point people on different blocks are just getting together and having their own reparation parties or meetings to keep up with what's going on. But my point is this. When this all comes to a head, if the mayor will, and during this term or next term, or if there's another mayor sitting there or whatever, if they decide... We agree. The city needs to do something because of Boston's role in the transatlantic slave trade. We need to create reparations for Boston's black community. When those words are spoken, our community needs to be on point on what we need and want, not just what's given to us, because nobody knows better than we do than what we need to help fix our community, make it better, and make sure that 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, our children and our children's children are living in a different black Boston. One where if you and I and this gentleman here were to get up and walk just two miles to Beacon Hill, we're expected to live 23 years longer than we lay here in Roxbury. So let me be clear also, within um, Beacon Hill, 
and the South End and the Back Bay used to be all black. So, and we can't even get into the conversation tonight about gentrification, which that's also um, government policies and uh, local, national, globally. Um, and we've got like a few more minutes yep. left. So if someone wanted to have uh, get more information yep. about the reparations, yep. the people could be, because there's two different commissions there now. Is. Yep. Yep. So if they, people wanted to get more information, where yep. should they well, go? Well, I can tell you that the next uh, New Democracy Coalition uh, um, Boston People's Reparation Commission meeting will be on January 5th, Friday, 6 p.m. We're going to have it in the South End at the Mel King Technology Center. But more importantly, for all information on anything New Democracy Coalition or Boston People's Reparation Commission related, Edwin Sumter, E-D-W-I-N-S-U-M-P-T-E-R. My Facebook page is devoted entirely now to community activism. So if you want to know what's going on with the reparations, you'll see it there. You want to know what's going on with changing the name of Faneuil Hall? You'll see it there. If you want to know what, at least for me, uh, some important issues going on in the community that I'm covering or keeping up with, it's all there. I'd like to think my face, uh, Facebook page is the gateway to things that are going on in the community. I have opinions like we all do, but above and beyond all, the number one thing I care about is involvement. I, that, is, that for me is the most important thing, folks to be involved. You don't even have to go to a meeting all the time. Just have your ears and eyes open so you can be involved mentally to what's going on in your community. Because in Boston, far too often, things happen or don't happen that we don't hear about or hear about too late and we've missed out. So I have a question sure. because you brought it up. What is going on with <laughs> Faneuil Hall and the renaming of okay, Faneuil Hall? We've got a few moments. Okay, great. So big news. Uh, by the way, if you would have told me back in the 80s that the Boston City Council would vote to change the name of Faneuil Hall or vote to apologize for its role in the transatlantic slave trade back in the 70s or 80s, or even the 90s. I would have said, you're crazy. But those two things happened in the last couple of years. Last summer, the Boston City Council, by a vote of 10 to 3, voted to change the name of Faneuil Hall. Now, that means that it's out of the Boston City Council, out of Boston city politics. It now goes on to the Parks Department, who overall makes a decision on renaming something like Faneuil Hall. Now, truth be told, this department is like a phantom department. It's hard to even find other people who make up this department. It's a state-run agency. They're the ones who now would have to be convinced. And that process is underway, or at least that process can begin. That's the last hurdle to climb. But that's going to require community involvement. That's going to require re-energizing of our efforts. But this is the closest ever it has come to change in the name of Faneuil Hall. And for me, personally, why change the name of Faneuil Hall? Well, if it's Boston's number one tourist attraction, I just think it's a shame that of all the cities in the United States of America, Boston has to be the one that has this number one tourist attraction named after someone who would own me, Sharon, and this gentleman right here if he were alive today or we were back in his time. That can't be the number one tourist attraction's name in the city of Boston. It should not be. And by the way, there's a big uh, belief out there that it, he named it himself. No, it was named for him after he died. So he didn't even name it Faneuil Hall himself. So people want to get the facts straight. They better get the facts straight. So, again, give the information about the next meeting. Yep, next meeting is Friday, January 5th, 2024. Oh, my God. Mm. <laughs> At the Mel King Technology Center in the South End. And for more information, my website, E-D-W-I-N, Edwin Sumter, S-U-M-P-T-E-R. 
Thank you so much for being here. We got two more minutes, and um, and and then the next action with the reparations is what another hearing? Or? Yeah, reparations. I think the important thing is to stay engaged. I don't mind. Look, you can belong to the. You can follow. Well, the um, Boston City Councils. I'm sorry, the Mayor's Reparation Task Force. They hold meetings every month, and they put their minutes on the uh, Boston City Hall website. So I employ everyone to go there and read and check and see what they're doing because they're doing some interesting things. If you want to know what's going on, you can go to the City Hall website and pull up the minutes from the Boston Reparations Commission, or you can attend the Black Boston Reparations Commission meeting from the NDC. The idea is you, the information is out there. The information is out there. But this is why I love Sharon. This is why I love what she's doing right now because I just have a feeling that what I just said, you know, hopefully some people say, oh, well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll go put up the... Boston um, City Hall website now and see what's going on with that task force. Or maybe I'll check out the New Democracies task force and see what's going on. But this is the kind of information, staying engaged. Uh, this is why we need the queen of all media. And I know there's tons of shows <laughs> that are doing things. But, you know, Sharon, it's, again, I'm going to fade out here, and I just want to say two things. One, I want to congratulate the brother again who's sitting with us on his show, The Block. He's EJ. already invited us to be on his show, and EJ. I know your show is going to EJ, I know your show is going to be great and wonderful because it's music, and I can just see that I'm going to do all I can to help you and get you some listeners, and thank you for the invite to be on your show. My brother, Sharon, you know I love you. You're the queen of our media. <laughs> and true to our true testament to the descendants of our brothers and sisters from Africa, it's about spreading the word, getting out the message, and Sharon, you do it better than most. Thank you so much. I appreciate you being here with me this evening. Edwin Sumter, community activist, key player at the New Democracy Coalition, commentator, MC, journalist, extraordinary reporter, community dude. What's up? What's up? What's up? <laughs> I have a story for you guys. I, I decided when I had start uh, doing this show um, that I wanted to read a story or a saying to get you guys um, thinking. So I, I read this thing on social media and it says, that's not my job. This is a story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about that because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. So we're asking you guys to do something. And it doesn't take everybody. It takes somebody. And it's probably going to take you. So we're here this evening on another edition of Black Teachers Matter here at WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston. We're Boston's community radio station. I'm your host and the producer, Sharon Eaton Hinton. We'll be back next time with an amazing, amazing show. I've got some um, psychologists of color and psychiatrists. As we go into the holiday season, check in on each other. Check in on yourself. Look in the mirror and say, God loves you, and I do too. And we love you so much for being here with us this evening. Thank you, EJ, for being here with us. And thank you for being here with us. We hope that you come back next time here at WBCA LP 102.9 FM in Boston. The views and opinions that you've heard here are just for here and not for WBCA.